The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The Sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Steve Allman. I'm Cheryl Strayed. This is Dear Sugars. Oh, dear son, won't you please Share some little sweet days with me Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Steve. You know, Cheryl, there are many reasons that I love doing the show. Uh, one of the reasons is because we come from very different places, and it's rare and true gift when we become good friends with somebody who really has lived a different life, a different story. And I think about this because when I, we conceived of this episode, we really were thinking about family. And I realized my conception of family is very simplistic and very basic and intuitive. It's kind of the generic American post-World War II version of family. It's nuclear family, mom, dad, brothers, maybe there's some crazy cousins. But in fact, as we've gotten to know one another on the air and off, I realize that the word family is much more complicated for you and for many of our listeners. It's deeply complicated. And, and I always marvel at our difference. Like, I, I'll never get over, for example, you have two parents who, who stayed married to each other. Yes. I know your mom died a couple of years ago, but, you know, she spent, how many years was she married to your dad? 53. 53 years. Okay. Just having a father is a marvel yeah. to me. Uh, my father hasn't been in my life since I was about six. And, and before that, he was a, de a destructive force. I had a wonderful mother, but she died when she was 45. So I've not had my mother in my life. And and even my family beyond that, there's a, there's like an asterisk beside each one. Right. My siblings, I love them and, and they love me, but, but we have a, a distant relationship. We don't have the normal sibling relationship. My kids don't know uh, really any family beyond our, the family my husband and I have created. Right. And for so many of the letters that we see, it's not just complicated emotionally and psychologically, it's even legally complicated, where the lines of whose mom and whose dad and who's the custodian of the child or children were incredibly blurry and in dispute. Yeah. These are the letters we're going to explore today. Dear Sugars, my father died six years ago from cancer. His girlfriend of 11 years took care of him for the five years he was sick and dying. She and I didn't have much of a relationship. We don't really click. But when he was dying, we bonded and we helped each other get through the funeral and the aftermath of his death. He made her the executor of his estate, which was a tough job, and I'm very grateful to her for that, as well as taking care of him when he was sick. In case it matters, my father left no money, just a mess to clean up, including debts to the IRS. He was also a bad father, alcoholic, abusive to my mother, and a negative, paranoid, angry person. In the past six years, I've kept up a relationship with my late father's girlfriend by seeing her a few times a year. She's never been like a mother to me, 
but we have had a friendship, even though I still don't think we click. She's almost 70, and I'm 43. In the past three years, I've gotten married and had a baby. During this time, she started referring to herself as my stepmother. She never did this before, and as a grandmother to my daughter. She has no friends or family. Her biological family lives far away, and she's semi-estranged from them. She has no one else. So I'm happy to let her feel this connection, though I don't genuinely reciprocate these feelings. The problem is that she's told me she's planning to make me the executor of her estate, her health care proxy, and power of attorney. I believe she expects me to take responsibility for her care as she ages. She is healthy for now and still working. Her financial situation is precarious, and I don't think she'll be able to afford the costs associated with living in an assisted living facility or nursing home when the time comes. I feel for her situation, but I don't feel I deserve this awesome responsibility. I have my own family to worry about, plus an aging mother of my own, and a sister who can't really function who will likely be my responsibility someday. Plus, my husband and I simply don't have extra money to support someone else. Can I tell my stepmother that I cannot take on this role in her life? It feels like the ultimate rejection, but I just don't believe it's fair of her to ask me to be her safety net in old age. What can I do? Signed, pretend stepdaughter. Mm. This is really, for me, a very complicated uh, question, pretend stepdaughter, because I, I think you're right. That's a really hard thing to say to somebody. This question is ultimately, how did I get obligated to someone without having any you know, formal tie or, or, or a genuine sense of that obligation being rooted in the experience of our relationship. Right. And I guess what confuses me as I contemplate your letter is, is that you are saying these two things. You're saying you're friends, but then you say you don't click. Um, so why have you kept up that friendship? Why have you seen her a few times a year? Why um, does she, you know, get to know your baby and all those things if you genuinely feel nothing for her? Um, you know, I think that maybe part of what might be tangled up here is you actually do like this woman and you you like having that connection, but she's asking you to be more deeply connected than you're comfortable being. And, you know, with a little bit of honesty, gentle honesty, when when she says to you, you know, I think I want you to be my power of attorney, I want you to be my executor, I think that you need to work up the, the guts or the nerve, bring it up yourself and say, I don't want that role. Right. That, that I don't feel that that is, you know, the appropriate role for me. I want to be your friend and, and, and that's it. I think you can say that without doing as you fear ultimately rejecting her. I mean, I think that there is that middle ground where you are being gentle and honest. And what what that allows you to do then is just have a friendship. It's painful, pretend stepdaughter, because this is really a raw instance where, you know, your father's girlfriend is saying, I want to be your kin. Yeah. And what you're saying is, I already have kin, and I've got a lot of kin that I've got to take care of, and I want to take care of, and I don't want to take care of you. I don't see you in the way that you see me. And it's tough because there is a real debt of obligation. This woman did 
care for your father. And your father sounds like he was a difficult person. You describe him as abusive with your mother, negative, paranoid, angry. She took that burden off of you. You were not the person who was mainly dealing with his estate and caring for him when he was sick. That is a big deal. And I think there's a part of you that is saying, well, she did that for me, so don't I owe her this. And also, she doesn't have any other family, so shouldn't I, as a person who's nurturant, be willing to be there for her. And I think the sense we get from your letter is that you're a deeply compassionate person who wants to look out for your kin. And, you know, the easy answer here is you have an obligation to your own aging mother, to a sister who you say you will be responsible for someday, and to your child. You speculate about the fact that you think she's going to ask you to play all these roles. But that suggests to me that you haven't had an upfront discussion with her. And I recognize that would be a difficult discussion, but the even more difficult thing to do is going to be when she finds herself in a state of crisis, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, and you haven't really told her, as Cheryl's suggesting, you know, we're not close friends. You're not a stepmother to me. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's really irresponsible to not make it clear to her that you're not prepared to play those roles because she needs to seek out her family. It's not your fault that she's estranged from her family, but it's not your responsibility. And then you do have to contend with the fact that you'll probably feel a certain amount of guilt and that this woman who sounds quite isolated will probably be hurt. She thinks the relationship is one way and you're going to have to tell her for you it's a different way. But if you're not upfront and honest about that, you are courting disaster. And, you know, I will say, too, I, I, I want to just a note of caution here is this woman is not even yet 70. She's still healthy and working and self-sufficient, it sounds like, financially. Um, and, you know, I think you can also sometimes get ahead of yourself with these worries. A lot of people have long lives beyond 70. You know, if, if you genuinely start behaving in a manner that's more in line with your feelings and affection for her, you're you're going to sort of naturally, you know, grow more distant over the next decade or two as she moves into um, old age and that time of her life that she might need more assistance. And during that time, she too will will have a life. I think that what what we're talking about here is saying what needs to be said, but also acting out of those feelings that are genuine. And part of the confusion pretend stepdaughter that you're feeling as it seems to me there are all these mixing up of roles and feelings and relationships and bonds and ties and I would recommend that you begin with yourself getting clear who is this woman to you we wish you luck pretend stepdaughter we sure do write to us and tell us what you do next The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.
Okay, Steve, onward. Onward and inward. Onward and inward, as always. So a few months back, I was reading the Modern Love column in the New York Times, and I read this this beautiful piece uh, by a writer named Jesse Glenn, who's going to be our guest today. And it was about how her family has had to change and, and reorganize itself after her brother died by suicide. And I, I was really moved by it. Uh, I was moved by, the uh, obviously, the, the tragedy and the sorrow of the piece, but the beauty of it. And one of the things I think it's really important to remember when we talk about complicated families mm-hmm. is we're often talking about loss. And certainly, Jesse Glenn's piece is at heart about loss. But we are talking also about beauty, the beauty that can be made when out of tragedy or some kind of separation or break in the family unit, that something new can be made. Right. And a a new kind of uh, family can be formed. And so we're going to give her a call and and talk to her about that. Yeah, we we sure will. I just want to let folks know that she's a writer and book publicist. That piece that Cheryl mentioned, a beautiful piece in the Modern Love column called Are You There, Dad? It's Me, Alice. We will post that on our website so you can read it. She's uh, currently finishing up a book of essays on motherhood and taboo, which I cannot wait to read. And also, Jesse, by the way, has five children, all of whom have different combinations of parents. So when we talk about family by proxy, Jesse Glenn is the person we want to talk to. Let's give her a call. Hello? Jesse? Yes? This is Cheryl Strayed. Hi, Cheryl. It's great to hear from you. It's great to hear from you. I also have Steve Allman on the line, my co-host. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jesse. So for our listeners, can you tell us about um, that piece that you wrote in Modern Love? Yeah. Um, the piece that I wrote in Modern Love was um, absolutely an impassioned piece for me because it had been such an intense situation. My brother died right before Christmas in 2016. And after he died, um, there were a few days per week where my niece's mom um, worked late and I really wanted my niece with me. And very kindly, her mom um, agreed to this. And so I ended up trying to recreate her dad's home, really, in my own home um, by taking her room from her dad's house and moving it to my house so that she had a room there. And all of the pictures were in the same place and the bed was in the same spot in the room and the room was painted the same color. And um, I I knew that I couldn't be my brother, but I I became somewhat consumed with trying to provide the things that he would provide, even though I could never, ever be her dad. Right. Yeah. So she's been staying with you more than she did when her father was alive. So for the first six months or something after um, he died, what I had envisioned was keeping the same custody arrangement that she had had with her mom and dad beforehand. Because they're divorced. Yeah, so they had kind of a half-and-half custody thing. Her mom would have her four days, and my brother would have her uh, three days and, and a Saturday from time to time. But it didn't stick like I hoped it would. And and I think the thing is, like, my idea of transposing one life onto another doesn't really work. So she does not stay here really regularly anymore, though I have her room here. <laughs> and she has her fish here, and it was her dad's fish. Um, 
And of course, we want her here all the time. But the way that her life progressed could not continue to be exactly the way it was before her dad died. It's right. just not the same life. And how old is your niece? She's 11. Um, so as we as we progressed, um, we ended up having a, a pretty unusual sort of pen pal relationship where um, we talked to each other through my brother's email so that she was emailing me and I was mm-hmm. emailing her back as her dad. Mm-hmm. And my niece always knew and understood that it wasn't truly her father writing her back, um, but it gave us both a way to pretend. And when I first discussed it with her, that's what we talked about. I said, I'd like to pretend. And she said, you know, she would like to pretend too. Wow. And I found that to be so meaningful um, and so intense and it, but it was never heavy. It was always, it was so light. I mean, she, she just wanted to say hi. And it isn't as if the, the relationship grew and became more robust it was more that it was just a bit of a coping mechanism for both of us for a period of time. And you, you have you stopped doing that? She hasn't emailed her dad in in a while, maybe a couple months or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it kind of goes in and out. I mean, sometimes she thinks of something she wants to say to him, and then she sends a message. So I have my brother's email on my computer right next to mine so I'm I'm always right there if she emails I message back super quick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Part of the reason that we wanted to also uh be able to talk with you today is uh so we have a letter where that really does um dive into how complicated it is when there is the absence of uh, a parent, how complicated for the child and how complicated for the proxy parent. Okay. Dear sugars. My sister has spent the past decade in and out of rehabs for alcohol and drug abuse. She usually gets kicked out for breaking the rules. This whole process has been shocking and heartbreaking for my family, and I've spent years grieving for my sister, afraid she would die. I've always tried to be loving and have boundaries with her simultaneously. Like many addicts, she has become an excellent liar and manipulator as she tries to feed her addiction and hide it from her friends and family. She's deeply ashamed and often pretends to be sober when she's not. The revelation that she isn't clean is never very surprising. My sister also got pregnant recently and decided to keep the baby. I think she believed the baby would help keep her sober and give her a reason to live. But as we all know, babies don't do that. My question centers around her son, who is about two years old. My sister lost custody, and he was placed with our father and mother temporarily. My sister agreed, as the only other option was foster care with strangers. Because the baby came to us about six months ago, my mom and dad have been doing shared custody with my husband and me. It's worked out as well as one could imagine. My 65-year-old mom is retired, and she watches the baby during the day while we work. We take the baby after work and on weekends. Now my sister is in jail, and it looks like she may stay in jail for a while. This temporary situation seems to be longer and longer the more we're faced with the reality of her illness and her legal problems and how much it would take for her to get better and be a true mother to her son. Sugars, I feel called to care for this child. I'm totally in love with him. It's been hard raising a baby and not knowing what I'm doing because I have no other children of my own. But it's been a beautiful experience, and I'm so attached to this child. My mom and dad don't want to pursue adoption because they want to keep that place open for my sister to be a mother to her biological child. 
I agree it's a good idea to keep that as a possibility. I've learned that the biological bond is strong, and it's best not to cut off ties if possible with birth parents in this type of scenario. Logically, I can see this. Emotionally, I'm wrecked. How can I be a pretend mama to this baby as he grows into a child? I'm worried he'll see myself and my husband as his parents. He already calls me mama and my husband dada. How can I explain to him this reality at such a young age? Also, sugars, is there any way not to get my heart broken in this situation? How can I raise this child as my own, always knowing my sister may come back to claim him? I'm considering having my own biological child. Could this ease my heartbreak? Signed, pretend mama. Mm. So, Jesse, obviously, we know your situation is not this one, um, and we don't mean to imply that. But um, we thought, you know, as as somebody who has, you know, been in the life um, of a child who has experienced the, the trauma, you know, the the young death of her father um, when she herself is so young, and has had to really um, redefine who, you know, those close bonds and see, in some ways, other people as stand-in parents. We thought you might be able to speak uh, to this woman's situation a bit. Yes, this this letter really did speak to me. The first thing that I tell pretend mama is that if your heart is breaking, you're you're doing it right. I mean, that's what it is to be a mama. Um, I had my first kids when I was 22, and I had my last two kids when I was 40. (laughs) And there's so much heartbreak involved. and, And what I see for this child is that there's no way to make this child um, not the biological child of her sister, but there's everything that this child has to gain from the relationship with his aunt. So the the sad thing is every kid is dealt a different deck of cards in the beginning. I mean, it's, it's really unfair how it's parsed out. Right. Yeah. And this kid is never, ever going to be a kid who doesn't have a deeply damaged mother. Yeah. There's nothing that can change that. Mm-hmm. So I think if she can handle dealing with the fact that this kid is going to have to grieve his biological mother in all different ways forever, and it's never, ever going to be easy, she's his real mama. Yeah. I, I think when we hear of a child in trouble, we want to make it disappear. You know, the upside of this is I when I read this letter, I see so much uh, light as well. Yes. Because what he does have, and a lot of kids in this situation don't have this, yep. loving grandparents and a loving aunt and Absolutely. uncle. And so he's got four people who are not struggling in the ways that his mother is struggling. He's got four people who who love him and are willing to be stand-in parents. And, you know, that's powerful stuff, and it will help his child so much. Yeah, yeah, it is everything. We should just say, you know, pretend mama, the, the, the hand that your nephew uh, was dealt is there's no father. That's even more reason for you to play that role as a loving, caring parent and your husband as well and your parents. Yeah, I, I think the question that I hear the writer asking is, is there any way that I can raise this child without anguish? And I right. and I think the answer is no. Yeah, right. But I think the thing is, if you choose to love this child, there's all of this wonderful, incredible stuff you'll get out of it. And there will also always be anguish. I was really struck by the end of her letter where she mentioned, should I have a biological child? And that really stuck out to me because I was thinking about the deck of cards. Thing is, if she has this child who's had a rough deck of cards and she has another child, 
her other child's deck of cards will be ultimately defined by her first child too, which doesn't mean that yeah. they won't adore each other, but that won't make an one seamless other parenthood experience. That's right. I mean, it, and it won't take away that anguish. You know, she, right. the, the thing that's beautiful to me, pretend mama is you love your nephew and no matter what happens when it comes to the custody of this child, uh, you will be part of his life and his heart, and he will be part of yours. And so, you know, I, I feel like when I read this letter, there, there are two questions. One is the, as as you so aptly said, <laughs> Jesse, like, can I can I do this without feeling anguished and just dis- wrecked and destroyed and sad and grief stricken? And sadly, the answer is no. Um, but you know, I think that you have the capacity and the strength to deal with that. The the other questions that I think are really swimming beneath the surface of this is really how does this work? And um, this is a question that we can't answer today and that you probably can't either, because, of course, it depends. You know, there are all kinds of legal questions uh, involved with with parenting and, and parental and custodial and guardianship rights. Steve points out that the father isn't even mentioned in this letter, but guess where the father is present in his legal rights. Right. Okay. It's, you know, a father who's never even met the child and the father's can step family. in and yeah. say, this is our child. And, you know, there's also the mother's parental rights, which seem to be, you know, at least in question right now. Um, it doesn't sound like she's lost her, her rights, but uh, she certainly lost custody of her child. Um, and, you know, so I think that those, all of those questions are, are ones that need to take shape over time and pretend, Mama, you and your family can make wise decisions about them as they come. But for now, it's really about loving, nurturing, and caring for this boy you very much already love and nurture. Yeah. And what Cheryl's talking about, pretend, Mama, is um, in a sense, this child has brought your sister back into your life. And your sister is a figure who you already have, uh, you've, as you write, you've spent a lot of time grieving for her and fearing that she's going to end her life or uh, self-destruct. The complication here, in a way, is that a part of you wishes that she would recover, get out of jail, and be able to care for this child. But I think if you're perfectly honest with yourself and you seem like somebody who's really honest with yourself, there is another part of you that wants to raise this child and that wants to be not the only mom and dad, but wants to play that role in his life, recognizes that you are right now effectively loving and nurturing this child, and actually fears, perhaps, that your sister will in some way come back into his life and and um, undo some of that love, or at least complicate it. And that's a real internal conflict. The hand that this child was dealt is now, in some sense, your hand as well. Your sister agreed to have the baby placed with your parents, your father and mother, temporarily. And then you write, because the baby came to us about six months ago and we made this arrangement, and that's why I'm in a kind of picayune way saying, your sister knows that you're partly a custodial parent for this child, right? She isn't thinking, well, the child is with my mom and dad and maybe sees uh, his aunt you know, occasionally or, or, you know, for visits. I think it's important, really, that you're upfront with your sister about the role that you're playing. And um, 
you know, in, within yourself about how you feel about the role that she might play in this bigger, complicated family. Because the larger hope here is that she recovers and plays a role in raising this child as well. And then you're in partnership with her. So that relationship with her is vital, psychologically, emotionally, and even legally. I couldn't agree more. And, and I'd, I'd just like to add as well that even if pretend mama gets adoption of this mm-hmm. child um, and there are no legal issues after that it's completely uh, the adoptions finalized I still think it would behoove the child to to talk about his biological mother regularly um, yes. starting now but I think any kind of ducking away from the fact that that person is there and isn't the first primary bond of this child will only serve to push away pretend mama's contact with him when he's older and and during the teenage years when people really want to find their roots. So I think she'll be investing in the depth of her own relationship with her child after adoption if she can always try to note the biological mother. So I was thinking about, I I actually know um, a family in which they adopted the one-year-old son of their friend who received a a long prison sentence. And they always told this boy about his parents. There was never a day that it was like, okay, well, we're your real parents, so forget about those other parents. You know, what they did instead with this boy, who's now a man, an adult, they said, you know, here's the deal. You have a little bit of a different story. Your parents are incarcerated, and we will take you to visit them. You can write to them. We can nurture that relationship. And we're your parents out here. And guess who your parents are? All of us. Right. All of us. It doesn't have to just be one parent or two parents or four parents. I mean, you know, Jesse t- speaks to this too, I think, right? You have this family of all these configurations. And and sometimes, um, you know, we just need to embrace the story that is ours, that is true. And, and this man, you know, is grown up now and he loves the parents who raised him. And he has important, deep, profound, loving relationships to the his biological parents. His mother was released from prison uh, in the last few years, and they see each other, and they have a relationship. Is it different than the one they would have had if they'd just grown up the traditional way? Yes. But, you know, I think that it's that it was the, an ideal outcome um, from a non-ideal situation. Right. I, I think, I think right. that's... That's so important, Cheryl, because in your letter, Pretend Mama, you, you're you writing about how can I avoid getting my heart broken? And then you write, how can I raise this child as my own, always knowing my sister may come back to claim him? And I think mm. in your mind, you have to realize that there's another story possible, which is that your sister will come back to help raise him, right? That he, she will come back not to claim him from you, but to occupy her rightful and important role as a mom who's going to nurture him. And you will also, you know, we're so set on this idea, I think, especially in this era of the nuclear family. And we know from our inbox and just from our experiences in life, much more families are, are they're big and complicated as they used to be. They're more like there were cousins and aunts and uncles and a whole bunch of people who were raising the children. And so you have a setup hopefully, that will evolve into something more like that, where mom plays a huge role and a positive role in her son's life, but you do also, and so does your husband, and so do your parents. Um, 
And, you know, I th- And so possibly does this boy's father. That that would be wonderful because, yeah, I, yeah I, I also feel like it's really getting lost here that there is also a father who yeah. should feel and embrace as you have the beautiful heartbreak of raising a child, all that that entails. The, the thing that I, I, I keep thinking is, is just that um, I'm, it's just so sad that things have to be so difficult sometimes for some children. And, yeah. and I think that she, she's doing the right thing. I mean, I think it's, it's the right thing to care for children. It's the right thing to, you know, you see a kid who's been dealt a bad deck to do every single thing that you can do to help them, despite the fact that it won't be easy. So I have so much sympathy for pretend mama because my niece is not my daughter, but she is always going to be my niece. And my love for her is boundless. And that ability to see both sides is is really painful. Yeah. Hi, listeners. This is actually the last episode of the season, but we'll be back with new episodes of Dear Sugars in just a few weeks. Talk to you then. Dear Sugars is produced by The New York Times in partnership with WBUR. Our producer is Alexandra Lee Young. Our editor and managing producer is Larissa Anderson. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. Our mix engineer is Josh Rogerson. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly, with vocals by Liz Weiss. Please find us at newyorktimes.com slash dearsugars. You can send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's dearsugars, plural, at nytimes.com. Or leave us a voicemail on our hotline at 929-399-8477. And please check out our column that comes out every Tuesday in the New York Times style section at nytimes.com slash the sweet spot.